0: Welcome back to the team, everyone. This is a Pharaoh Ali, and for today's episode, it's called Better Call Pickles. And I have a very important guest with me today, and I'll have him go ahead and introduce himself, and then we're just going to get into it.
1: All right, what's up? Uh, I'm James, I guess, Pickles DiMaggio. Uh, that nickname was given to me a long time ago. Uh, I'm a different person since then. But uh, I'm, I'm Ali's good friend. Some say best friend. Best friend. Uh, best friend. And uh, I'm an, an attorney. You're my brother, <laughs> also brother, and attorney. Uh, I, I practice civil defense law at a, a firm up in White Plains, New York. I've uh, been practicing for like four, four or five years. Damn, it's been a long time. But uh, yeah, that's about it.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, first of all, thank you for thank you for being here. Uh, you said it's your first podcast, so just don't. Just don't fuck up um, anything.
1: <laughs> I, I, it feels different, man. I, I can tell why people do this now. There's yeah. a feeling in the air.
0: It's just something in the air. <laughs> All right. So let's, let's get into it. Um, what made you want to be a lawyer? And how did you decide on the area of law that you uh, decided to subsequently uh, practice? Mm.
1: So that's a loaded question. Uh, I remember I, I actually never thought I would be a lawyer uh, because. My father is a lawyer. He's a real estate lawyer. I remember telling him growing up, you know, I, I will never do what you do. And my dad was like, all right, well, bet. <laughs> and uh, you know, as time went on, I, I went to UMass obviously with you and found out that I suck at science and I did not, could not do biology, could not do kinesiology. So I then went to economics. <laughs> uh, Cause I couldn't get into the business school either with, because of the damn chemistry grades. Uh, but as time went on, you know, I, I learned a little bit more like what my dad did and he kind of told me a bit about how he liked helping people, especially, you know, uh, people who really needed that. You didn't expect it, you know, even family, friends and stuff like that. Uh, so eventually I kind of got interested in law and I always wanted to practice something like sports law or become an agent or some kind of employment law. That was like my big thing employment law, because I was part of the doorman union when I was growing up. Um, Now, as time goes on, things change. You know, as I try to actually get an internship with the union that I practice for, I found out that they're they're a little corrupt, uh, a little corrupt with a couple things. You know, I I thought I had the perfect resume, perfect cover letter. I used to be a doorman. I get this kind of, you know, labor, would love to learn employment law and I found out they kind of just gave those internships to like their siblings and stuff like that so that was kind of cool uh but
0: total nepotism
1: yes and and when it comes down to it that's kind of the whole legal world when it comes down to it uh but i then interned at this civil defense firm uh meaning basically uh if you get sued personally so you're not getting sued by a government, you know, or the state, something like that. You're not being sued or prosecuted criminally. Uh, I could represent you. That's kind of how it is. You know, you accidentally hurt somebody or purposely hurt somebody, but it doesn't go to, you know, a criminal intent. Uh, I interned at this firm that I'm actually still at, and really, I never thought I would like civil defense, but also the firm itself is awesome. Uh, to me so you know they're not crazy with hours they're not and they kind of treat people like human beings which is nice which once again you do not see uh, in the legal world or at a lot of firms so Uh, that's kind of where I'm at now so I've gotten to civil defense
0: do they normally kind of treat you guys like garbage like when you first get in or
1: uh, I mean I, I've heard horror stories that that's why it's I've been really lucky with uh, where I've been interning now I, I probably have slightly less pay than you know the big firms, uh, but the the turnover at those firms are crazy. you know, people last months. Uh, the two people at my firm that actually you know they well they were my age now when they left my firm after a couple of years and they took you know big law jobs, you know they they went to bigger firms for, you know, a decent amount of a pay raise, uh, within six months, both of them left those firms, you know, they were both out, they're were like, we're, we we can not deal with like the billable hours, we can't deal with, you know, lawyers being always competitive and trying to like one up and show like, why they're better than you. Uh, and fortunately, that's just not how it is at my firm. And it's a small firm. So, you know, I'm, I'm the youngest by 20 years. So
0: yeah, uh, that is a well-seasoned firm.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: So you said that uh, because you worked as a doorman and also in the union, that you wanted to uh, <clears throat> that you wanted to work in employment law. So with employment law, what is that does that deal with like job discrimination in terms of hiring, firing, and like equal like pay and knocking in promotion and stuff like that?
1: Yeah, it, it's a general term, you know, it's, uh, it can range from discrimination or wrongful termination to, you know, something where I, I would have liked to do with the union, which is kind of like negotiate contracts um, between, you know, the property management company and the unions and stuff like that. So it, it's, and every, every, you know, type of law ends up being like all encompassing kind of thing. But yeah, it's a lot of discrimination, a lot of um, negligent hiring wrongful termination um, people not honoring certain employment statutes like the fed, uh, family maternity leave act stuff like that um, so it's something I always wanted to get into I took a lot of classes about it but you know when an opportunity comes to get paid you got to take it I said when opportunity comes to get paid you got to take it especially when you have uh, a decent amount of law school loans that is
0: that's fair. Does it, um, so, I take an employment law would also deal with uh, not being paid in a timely manner.
1: Yes, uh, I feel like you know some people know about that. Some people,
0: some yeah, some people. <laughs> I don't, I don't know who, but yeah, <laughs> some people might might know a little bit about
1: that. Take a long guess free T-shirt to anybody who can take away.
0: <laughs> yeah, we're gonna start a giveaway. It's like free T-shirt. Who can ever who can guess so bad. that experience? <laughs> Um. So, like you said, it's like there's different, um, like fields of law and things like that. And it's like, so within your opinion, what do you think is probably like the easiest law to practice, and vice versa? <laughs>
1: Damn, I'm about to call out some of my friends or something. Um, why are they getting paid? Fuck them. I mean, it's true. It's true. I don't know. Is there an easy law to practice? I, don't know. I mean everything takes time to learn. Like, I feel like I want to be able to just like jump into uh, corporate transactions and stuff. Like, I don't know. I, I can learn it, you know, but it would probably take a little bit of time to learn all those buzzwords and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but then again, I feel like corporate transactions probably pretty easy. Any kind of like that corporate stuff, like it kind of just like, it, it's just a lot of like paperwork and stuff, you know, especially on the lower level. There's, there's only so much you're going to do it's really just a lot of contract review document review um that's what a couple of my friends do actually and they do not enjoy it but pays damn well and you can if you like keep moving up you know you start to become kind of like the big swinging dick person so (laughs) it's all there and i mean especially like if you want to like those cool jobs like uh you know if you want to work for a ball club stuff like that I mean, they're always looking for corporate experience like that, corporate transactions or, you know, some kind of related field. Uh, if for any of these, like, if you want to work for the Mets and like the business area, they're always looking for that kind of experience and you get paid well. So.
0: Okay. So corporate, easiest.
1: Well, yeah, artist. It's artist. Just an <laughs> What's up? Just an opinion. It's just an yeah,
0: opinion. like I said, in your opinion.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: But so what would you say is like just, I guess, maybe even going through law school and just seeing people like kind of picking where they want to go? I was like, what would you consider like the hardest field?
1: Oh, I mean, I know that right away, actually. Uh, (laughs) Any kind of like IP uh, and copyright law. Mm -hmm. Well, it's just extremely hard to get into, like insanely hard because a lot of people want to do it because that's where like, you know, music is, if you want to become an agent, it's all about kind of knowing about IP, copyright, uh, entertainment law. But if you want to do that intellectual property um, and practice it, you have to take like a whole nother bar uh, itself. So you have to take, you know, the one bar to get in to be a lawyer, but then there's a whole nother IP bar. And with that, you need to have a science degree background. Uh, you need to have graduate, because a lot of the IP stuff is like trying to get um, certain formulas, either copyrighted or patented. Okay. So you have to understand why this is different compared to the uh, millions of other kind of formulas. Yeah.
0: So if you have like a, if you have a formula and they add like a methyl group, you have to know that adding that methyl group doesn't actually change, like it changes the formula, but it doesn't change like the actual structure of it depending on where the methyl group is i'm pulling shit back from undergrad but
1: I mean, yeah say whatever you want because i i don't do ip so i have no <laughs> idea i have no Speaking magic
0: to, to me <laughs>
1: <laughs> but yeah it's it really is all about just kind of being able to differentiate it which is why you try to make this thing patented you know so you, whatever uh, laboratory or research group is now hiring that ip lawyer the ip lawyer needs to then explain it to the patent bar with their application and say this is why here's the legal analysis and here's the scientific analysis mix it into two so and that's why first of all it's hard to get into hard to practice and it's really exclusive in general like very few people are able to do it and it pays damn well (laughs) i think i think starting salary last time i looked because i remember thinking that I wanted to do this in law school before I realized how hard it was and that you needed a science background uh, was like 120. And that's like on the low side. How much? 120,000 starting. Starting? Yeah, starting. Like entry? Yeah, yeah. Like foot in the door, here's (laughs) $120,000. I know, I know.
0: My biochemistry background and the way I love to argue. Oh, fuck. I miss my calling.
1: Yeah, yeah. You can still go to law school, you know?
0: Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll catch you in the next go round.
1: <laughs> I had some older people in my law school. I had people like in their forties and fifties.
0: I mean, yay. <laughs> I mean, I mean, how old, like how, I know that there's not like a age limit on how old you can be when you're practicing but you have to stay relatively sharp as a lawyer it's like when you start getting older with some people the sharpness starts to go it's like so
1: uh, it's absolutely true but a ton of i mean lawyers practice forever man like the two partners at my firm they're in their 70s and like they're not quitting anytime soon they're still i mean and they're both sharp obviously but okay uh, you know yeah they're not they're not losing it they're 10 times the lawyer i'll ever be but uh you know, they, lawyers just, I always feel super young with anything I do in the legal area. And I know that including with the clients I talk to, they're always like, are you like 21 maybe? <laughs> like, did, are you an intern? Oh, yeah. I'm like, no, I've been practicing for damn five years.
0: Like, I'm <laughs> going to speak to a lawyer. You are, no, 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 a real <laughs> lawyer. <laughs> like, did you just dress up for Halloween?
1: Like, <laughs> <laughs> take the binky out of your mouth, get out of my face and, you know. Right. Get me somebody who's 75
0: (laughs) right it was like I need an adult it's like (laughs) I am an adult (laughs) but yeah like you like you said is that while you were in law school you're thinking about like a lot of different things so I kind of wanted to ask you is that with like going into law school what are some like misconceptions that you had and what are some things that you wish you knew going into law school that once you finished, you're just like, fuck, I really wish I knew
1: that. Mm. I'm trying to think like exactly. One would have to be probably practicing a little bit more of just being comfortable public speaking, which, you know, I, I've never been a great public speaker. I've, I've gotten a bit better, but I used to, even just like talking in front of a classroom for like a half second. You know, because what a lot of what they do is just calling on anybody, whatever that method is called. That I mean, is completely slipping my mind right now. Uh, it's not Plato's method. It's not, it's I forget what it is. Some philosopher's method. Where oh, the you
0: know, um, Socratic method.
1: Socratic method. I can't believe I yeah. forgot that. Um, but that's just about like seventy-five percent of the classes I took did the Socratic method. Of doesn't matter like who raises their hand? They just go, this DiMaggio, give me uh, the background of this case. And you just kind of go and, you know, facts, analysis, rule kind of thing. So that definitely would have helped because there were times I was straight up shitting my pants, thinking that I was either going to get called or I knew I had to talk in front of the class. Now, you know, eventually you kind of get used to it, but it would have been nice to kind of figure that one out. Um, And honestly, just like probably more organized note-taking that ended up being a huge thing which obviously it seems so obvious at the time like yeah law school you take notes but it's really more about like organizing those notes so when you look back at it like two days later you're like oh okay now I know what I was talking about instead of like going from page to page and like everything's all jumbled together um that would be a, a little bit. That would have helped me a lot, honestly, especially like the first two years when I was just like writing random things down in random places. I had a post-it note there, had like something written on a folder here, um, and just like nothing labeled. I was always jealous of like all the, the students who like had like everything color coded. And I was like That's such tryhards, and you know they ended up being like the best students. Like fucking new
0: fucking nerd.
1: <laughs> it was like buddy, you're, you're trying to understand this
0: <laughs> we're trying to coast like <laughs> stop bringing up the
2: curve
1: <laughs> yeah so i mean that, those those are probably like the two big things um mm-hmm. obviously you read like a shit ton in law school um and honestly reaching out um for help like when you need it in law school that's something. It took me a long time to start talking to kids in law school to be like, "Hey, like, do you understand this?" Because I have no idea. Or you know, like, you can we share notes? Can we do this kind of thing? That took me a long time to just kind of just get comfortable. But then I realized, like, other people are looking for the same thing. Like, they're looking for help any way possible. For for the most part, you're going to have your your douches who are not going to try to help you because yeah, that's what I'm
2: about to ask.
0: Is like, did you have some some of those people in your? Um- lady in your class that are just like the know-it-alls where it's just like, hey, can you help us? And it's just like, huh, no.
1: Yeah, yeah, because they, they knew that they were top of the class or near top of the class and they're not looking to help. They don't need your help kind of stuff. I had plenty of those kids who thought they were too good for the school um, and you know, very opinionated. Uh, but you find you know a good group of kids who I still obviously talk to and they helped me throughout and honestly you need it most of those kids need help you need to be in a study group you need to be in some kind of thing but like the first year especially because I was part-time on my first year while I was working as a doorman like I didn't get into a study group for a long time and always was a little left out um, but I was like no I can do this on my own but then after I started to go full-time I actually asked for help from kids I was like oh these kids are nice and maybe I can help you too maybe it depends but
0: like, hey, do you want to be my friends? I need help. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Um, all right, I'm about to, ex- I'm about to expose my whiteness. So in the show that we've watched, Greek. Yes. Like, great. <laughs> great show. Um, ABC Family. Uh, <laughs> one of the characters on there, she ends up going to law school and like, one of the things that they were talking about, it's like within the study groups is that because of like how, like how much material you would have to read, you would literally just chop up sections and be like, you read this and then explain that to us. And is that kind of how like the study groups worked in the, ways in the way that you did
1: it? Yeah, uh, for certain classes when there was like a ton of reading, definitely. Um, especially like those more uh, kind of like general ed classes that everybody has to take when all of a sudden you have like 40 pages of reading for one class to do like the next day. But then, you know, for the other classes, you have another 40 pages each. So I, I had done that before with uh, some kids, but a lot of what we do too is just kind of going over each case and making sure you knew the rule of the case because you have to figure out like what the ruling of that case is and how it's applied to that fact scenario so you have to make sure you get that right because sometimes you think uh, you have the ruling but it ends up really being dicta which means basically like that's just it's not a throwaway sentence by a judge but that's not the rule that would be applied to say like another case that's similar that you could apply to that fact scenario it's more you have to find the exact ruling and which is usually supported by past case law and you see like the citations to it
0: and that's something I wanted to talk to you about about like past case law because a lot of times the way that uh well the well not a lot of times the way that the laws are set up is through um, uh, precedent where it really it really relies on what another court has done before. So could you kind of talk about that and how like how that can kind of perpetuate a certain ruling and then how. Hard it is to overturn or get a different ruling, even though it might have a long history of uh, precedent.
1: Right. Yeah. I'll I'll throw a, a law school term at you. It's it's called stare decisis, which is Latin for you know uh, something about precedent. <laughs> and uh, I mean basically yeah, any kind of fact scenario in a case you take whatever the rulings have been in the past, you know, 100 cases and you've they're, they're everywhere. There's cases for everything. And then you apply it to that fact scenario and you try to either make it as different from that past case or as similar to that past case. Um, so it, the United States itself is basically a case law um, country. Now, that doesn't mean we don't have statutes, obviously, You know, but when it comes to doing a lot of motions or um, especially in the pre-trial kind of area, you're always looking for past case law rulings to apply to your case to say whatever ruling you really want. Uh, Weirdly enough, the only case law state, I believe, is Louisiana, but they're crazy down there. So, like, they don't really go up over statutes. It's really just more about past case law, which can go, obviously, back to the
0: 1800s. Yeah, that's a slippery slope.
1: So and you can almost l- end
0: up back in slavery if that's <laughs> yeah. the
1: exactly so Louisiana is kind of crazy, but uh, it, it does make it hard to either overturn or have a a different kind of decision um, from the past case rulings. Uh, so either w- what you kind of have to hope for is a significant difference in the facts. You know, it, it seems like it's similar, but like you can show to the court that there's no way that this rule should apply, or maybe it should be an exception. Or honestly, you get a judge who just doesn't agree with the, the past case rulings and kind of starts almost setting up new case law. It's a, kind of happened recently in, in my area of uh law of civil defense of not having to prove comparative negligence for the plaintiff i I don't want to get into like an hour long boring conversation of civil defense but basically there was a time where if you could show that the plaintiff was even you know five percent uh at comparative fault for you say a motor vehicle accident that would preclude him from getting summary judgment of, on liability meaning like he wouldn't he can't say that you're 100% liable you know they can't make that motion before the case is heard has been heard by uh, a jury but now the new case law in New York in New York uh, is if you can prove that that defendant before this has been heard by a jury, so after depositions and stuff, is liable in some way. He will, you are now granted summary judgment on liability. So at no matter what, he will be liable for some kind of portion. And what that does to a jury, at least from the defense side, which is why I disagree with the law, uh, is going into the case guilty at some extent. Exactly. They, they, the jury now knows that, okay, well you are liable for something and it's it's a bias. So but that was that had never been good case law until like 2018 when an, an appellate judge wrote this decision, basically, and has really changed like that kind of area of law um, basically saying, the plaintiff doesn't need to prove that he himself is not liable. He just has to prove the defendant is liable at some point.
0: Like you said, with that, that can kind of taint the jury. So wouldn't that kind of go against like the constitutional, like a fair, like a, like a fair trial?
1: Well, that's the argument you can make, but that's not how the judge sees it in that case. He's saying that the jury can still find the plaintiff liable for however certain percentage. However, he is somehow liable, whatever percentage the jury. It's more about, well, the jury can figure that out, not that this is going to make an impression on the jury, Uh, but that is definitely the argument, and that's the argument I've made in a lot of my motions or oppositions. So. so far no luck I, I have not made a landmark uh impression on any judges yet
0: not yet but but don't worry like bounce some of the arguments off of me we, we'll get there we'll get there and then just put me as a footnote <laughs> a little shout
1: out it's just sight to you please call ali at <laughs>
0: right here there you go uh no, but that, that is very interesting just because that does, it makes, it makes sense. Because if, so is the jury told that like this person is liable for X amount of X, Y, and Z before like even the trial begins or at like through the, as they're getting prepped or something like that. Like, are they exposed to that information before they hear either arguments uh, yeah, either, uh, either arguments.
1: They they're not exposed to like the percentage of lia- of liability because that's what they're there to determine how much that person is at fault. But um, they, they they do know that he has to be found liable in some sense because it has been granted that plaintiff has gotten liability. If, so
2: if you have to be
1: twenty percent. Yeah, but you can find the defendant 20% at fault, plaintiff 80% at fault, but you do have to assign some kind of percentage to the defendant since he's, he's already been found liable by the court due to the summary judgment.
0: So even if I go to trial, even if
1: I win, I still lose. Well, yes. <laughs> but, you know, that, that's why you fight like don't lose as much you don't lose as much. Now if look if you get an 80-20 ruling in your favor, that's pretty good and you got to accept that. usually it's insurance being paid out anyway, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I mean that's it's definitely the argument and it's screwed over a lot of defense firms recently.
0: Mm. Yeah, cuz that's that makes fucking no sense because yeah. I'd rather just roll the dice and just be like, you know what? Either I'd rather be found 100% or 0% and I hmm. better just get some good lawyers, not some Amber Heard lawyers.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, even yeah. though I feel like those Amber Heard lawyers cost good money. They're not making. They're not probably. making for money.
0: Yeah, they probably charged her a lot. And I'd be, she should probably hit them because they're <laughs> not getting what you paid for. You're going to yeah. throw some mineral spirits at them. Um,
1: some case, Some cases are indefensible, though. So that's why you just recommend settlement. Uh, when you see something, but some people are just too stubborn,
2: mm-hmm.
1: especially, you know, sometimes
0: and it's funny that you say that that some cases are uh, indefensible because that's something I kind of wanted to talk to you about is that within every profession, well, almost every profession, there are professional ethics that mm-hmm. everybody within that position, um, sorry, profession has to abide by. So, are there like anything? Within your professional ethics that you might disagree with, that you still have to abide by, but it's like, eh, it's like I'm only doing this because I'm obligated to.
1: Right. Um. I don't know if you
0: can talk about it because I don't want to. I don't
1: want you know, to. I would not be given any actual things that's happened to me, but because I want uh, to open your bag. I. I. I'm trying to think like exactly. The the big thing for lawyers in general is, you know, you always hear about, wow, like, you know, that lawyer definitely knew that either their client was lying or helped them lie kind of thing. And they always go back to um, the ethics rules that I cannot think about right now uh, of what they're called, but like the first rule or second rule or whatever is zealously advocate for your client. So, you know, what does zealously advocate mean? You know, up up to however you wanna really define it for the most part. Now, there are ethics rules against lying when you know it's a lie, especially if somebody's in danger, things like that. Fortunately, I, I really don't have to kind of deal with that portion. But that's why a lot of lawyers that at least I know Purposely try to stay as far away from actually knowing or being told what happened and then trying to defend, you know, a certain way that would actually be a lie. So, you know, now how many lawyers do it? You don't know, but I know a decent amount who try. They're basically, they know, but they can always say, I was zealously advocating for my client. And I actually didn't know. I was never explicitly told that. I went with what the evidence showed and I zealously advocated for him.
0: That's fair because because if someone, if you're like, say if you're defending someone who's accused of murdering someone else and they were like, yeah, I murdered that person. Technically- You have to zealously- (laughs) You have
1: to zealously advocate and you have to try to get him the best deal possible uh because that's you zealously advocating but now you have you're not allowed to know that he killed that person and say no he did not kill that person now you can try to find a defense around it yeah technically
0: okay but still that is that is protected that's protected right under like lawyer client type of
1: yeah yeah no you're you That's absolutely a thing. Attorney-client privilege is absolutely a thing. Um, And you cannot talk about it. But that's why it's just a very fine line of zealously advocating and straight up lying.
0: Because the thing is, is that if you're you're a really good lawyer, you can get that person off. But it's like, you know that person is guilty, but you were just able to get them off. So... That's um, because I've, I've had a talk about this with, uh, I think i told you about this with one of our friend well, one of my friends, um, that there was a difference between professional ethics and societal ethics, mm-hmm. because I know that when, what was it, Hillary Clinton ran for president, yeah, when she ran for president, is that people went and looked at her yeah, uh, yeah, it was Hillary Clinton. Uh, looked at her like track record and her being—I think it was a defense lawyer. It's just like she defended someone who, oh, shit, this is gonna be on YouTube. Who um, was inappropriate with children? Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's the best way I can do without the buzzwords. Yeah. Um, and when people looked at like the tactics that she was using, it was the same tactics that like social groups advocate against this was like you're victim to like blame and everything like that and it were uh there were people on both sides that are pretty much saying it's like she was just doing her job but then societal ethics will just be like yeah but the way that in which she did her job society wouldn't agree with but it was nothing ethically wrong within her profession
1: mm-hmm. yeah i mean that that's definitely a thing and and to, to a lesser extent, it happens, um, say, like when people represent themselves without an attorney, you know, either they can't find one or they feel like they can represent themselves, you know, rightfully. Uh, and all of a sudden they start the case and it seems like things that, say, the other side is entitled to, in societal rules or norms, you're like, why would you need that? Or like, why, why request that? Why do you think that way? Um, but when it comes to the law, it's what you're entitled to. You know, I've, I've had cases that specifically with, they're called pro se plaintiffs, meaning that they, they don't um, have a lawyer uh, representing them. And they get into fights with me. They're like, first of all, because they don't understand the legal sense, but also because they really do feel like they've been wronged and i'm asking all of a sudden for their tax returns and i'm like i'm entitled to it i don't know what to tell you i'm allowed to see your tax returns for this case for this matter i'm allowed to see medical records if you're going to bring this claim um but i I mean i've told you about a certain case and i can't get like super into it uh overall but it's a woman representing herself and she believes she's in the right i obviously have to zealously advocate for my client and say that I'm not liable and she gets very upset with that and she thinks that I'm purposely misleading but when it comes down to the letter of the law it's what I'm entitled to and I have to zealously advocate. Now if she says that's what's been going on in that case probably to any other person um, who's not an attorney they're going to think that I'm like harassing her or you know trying to purposely you know, make, make it hard for her. But first of all, I'm supposed to make it hard for you. Second, it's, that is is your job. It's, it's the rules. Now it might not be the societal rules It it feels weird to be giving up personal information, Mm -hmm. um, especially to another side that is trying to say you're wrong. I'm right. But that's things like basic discovery. So that's, that's a big thing, like discovery rules compared to say societal norms when you're like, why would that person be entitled to that? I feel like that's a big difference.
0: That's what I want, and that's what I wanted to get into is I'm happy that you brought up discovery, is that, um, so you said basic discovery. For those of us who are not in the upper echelon of being a lawyer, um, could you describe what basic discovery is and what that entails?
1: Well, I mean, say say for specifically my kind of law, my area of law, um, Since a lot of it has to do with personal injury, it's these first kind of discovery demands get sent out where it's like, okay, you have to give us any witness information, uh, medical records and authorizations, because if you're alleging a personal injury, you have to give up your medical records, Uh, any kind of statements you've made in the past regarding this incident photographs. um, If it's a motor vehicle accident repair estimates. Uh, So it's a lot of say paper discovery so it's basically everything where they're like, this is my claim. And here's the evidence to back it up, kind of that paper evidence to back it up. And that's kind of how you get the ball rolling. Uh, It's completely different when it comes to uh, criminal law. And, you know, uh, it's been so long since I've even looked at it, but um, what prosecutors have to give to the defense, you know, they have to give exculpatory evidence over. Now, when they have to, just, that's what they always fight about.
0: Exculptory evidence meaning?
1: Evidence that could possibly show that that person is innocent or lessen mm-hmm. the sentence. Or lessen the punishment, not the sentence. Sentencing is different. Um,
0: oh, so pretty much what um, Kamala Harris wasn't doing. Bingo. Gotcha. <laughs> and... So
1: that's that's basic discovery.
0: So in... For you as a as a lawyer, is that just taking that just one part of like criminal uh, discovery? It's like, do you think that that is something that um, should be like automatically like mandated? and that, if it's found that the 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 attorney did not hand that evidence over in a timely manner, I honestly think that they should be disbarred. And possibly face criminal um, uh, criminal charges because I think that if you are purposely misleading the court or purposely withholding evidence, so it's just like, and that person ends up going to jail for it. However long they served, you serve mm. because those are things that those are years that you have taken away from them based off of the uh, nefarious activity that you've done.
1: Right, yeah, I mean, I, I could definitely see that side of the argument of, you know, you should be automatically disbarred. Now, it just like everything I, I would say in law, you know, everything is not just um, general and overranging. Every kind of case is like a snowflake, you know, every every one of them is different. Uh, so...
0: Me, different. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just wondering.
1: but uh so now i I do think they should probably go up to a, a bar committee committee or a grievance committee if something like that happens and obviously they should also be allowed to defend themselves as much as possible um but also you know it kind of for prosecutors civil defense is a little different you know it's i i also feel it's not as um, heavy, you know, nobody's going to jail in civil defense. Where it's more, what insurance money does that person get? Yeah, um,
0: financial. It's more like payouts than. Yeah,
1: yeah. It, it's now it, it can still affect your life, but it does not affect your life. Say, you know, you going to jail wrongfully. Hmm. Um, so I, I could definitely see something like a grievance committee if something like that happens. But at the same time, for prosecutors and DA offices it's so competitive in those offices and it's kind of, it's not just that one prosecutor, it's, it's the entire office. And it kind of goes from the top down. So it's it's them trying to get ahead sometimes or the saying, well, this is how I was taught, uh, you know, or I, I truly didn't believe that this was exculpatory, you know, from my other past cases. Uh, so it, the rot starts at the top for certain things like that. Yeah.
0: And I feel like, I think that's the double-edged sword of law is that it's the gray area is there so that it's like, there's some nuance to it. But then I think also, like you said, is that some of them, some lawyer, uh, some attorney can say, it's just like, oh, well, I didn't think it was uh, exculpatory. It's just like, that's where you start abusing the gray area because it's like vague, I'm going off of this it's like stuff like that. And it's just like, I think it's, there needs to be to an extent, a clear cut rules, just like any new type of evidence that you have, whether it be big or small, both sides need to have it. Because I think that when you leave it up to the uh, prosecution to turn it over, they're gonna wait until the last possible like second so that the defense can be taken off guard and be like, oh, it's like we need to have an um what is it? A motion to extend. I don't know. What's what's the legal term for it? It's for just like a rainy day, a rain check.
1: <laughs> uh, you, you basically got motion to, to extend or adjourn. Yeah.
0: Okay. There you go. See. See I'm learning. Learning. Uh, but yeah, I think that especially because um conviction rates play into job performance how they're measured as a prosecutor mm-hmm. is that it's gonna it's gonna lead people to do nefarious things
1: right yeah it, it it's a balancing act for that stuff because it, it's absolutely true you definitely within DA offices it's it's about conviction rate and who you put away how many people you've put away um it's and it's it's a competition because that's how you get ahead and that's how i mean when you first start out as a prosecutor you're not getting paid particularly well honestly Mm -hmm. um but you if you move up you can start to get be paid better but also all of a sudden now you have more job opportunities where you finally get the big payday after being in a in a prosecutor's office that's every attorney like big attorney that's made a ton of money, always ends up, you know, either being in a prosecutor's office or uh, actually starting at uh, legal aid, stuff like that. Because that's where you really learn how to like fight in the court and everything. But I mean, every single one, that's the partners in my firm. Uh, the one guy started at the Bronx DA's office. The other guy started at legal aid in the Bronx. It's, and now they're partners. So it, it, it's a balancing act and they, they say, Justice is blind, but it's juries aren't, so. Zing, dude, zing. Just, just, just a little tidbit.
0: Hey, just say that one more time, just one more justice,
1: time. Justice is blind, but juries aren't.
0: There you go, there you go. Drop it. Drop the mic. Uh, yeah, because it is very, um, I feel like when you have the, conviction rates as a factor that plays into your job performance. And maybe a little bit societally looking at it is that, oh, you didn't convict, like say if you have like a 60% conviction rate, it's not that 40% of people were innocent. You just, just 40% of people got away.
2: Mm, And I
0: feel like that's kind of the sentiment is that everyone that goes there like did something kind of going back to the liability thing it's just like if you're here you're some and some way you're liable right and, of,
1: and for them it it takes a lot to bring those charges i mean it, it it does take a while you don't just automatically bring charges it's they're doing a whole investigation well usually
0: uh you look the, like this, the charges <laughs> come fast
1: but with that comes an investigation and that's actually how sometimes, you know, people get off because the investigation is bad or something like that, but they, they do a whole investigation prior and they say, okay, can we bring these charges? They go to the, you know, their boss, their boss's boss and say, I want to bring these charges. And that's, it's almost like their baby, right? They're like, this is my case. This is, I've worked really hard on this to show that this person is guilty and now I can bring it to the jury and then I have to fight again for it. So they're going to do anything they can because they per- they really think that person's guilty, you know, usually, um, you know, right or wrong if they think that person's guilty. But that's that's kind of where this like conviction rate comes from because it's not just like oh this person might have they're like no 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 my investigation shows this person committed this crime now I'm going to bring it to the jury and um, show it.
0: That's the thing is that what I've seen is that even if even if the person didn't commit the crime that brought them in what they were arrested for, they will still just not even dismiss it. They'll just bump it down to a lesser one and just say like, oh well, you can you can take this and then just go home right. or if you want to push this to trial, then I will push it up to here. And it's just like, And that's pretty much like the strong arming of the uh, prosecution's power is that I, they can pretty much say to you, I can send you, I can, we can go to trial and you're facing maybe 25 years, or you can take this lesser charge, do five years and then go home. And the person still might be innocent, but saying that and presenting that to them, no one wants to roll the dice on 25 years.
1: Yeah. And especially, you know, Uh, juries are completely um, random. You you can't trust them. They bring biases even though they're not biases. Uh, they, They judge people when you're not supposed to judge people. They take things that they're not supposed to consider and completely consider it in these kinds of cases. It completely happens, which is why a lot of people don't want to risk going to trial. Now, for the prosecutors, obviously, depending on the case, they... Don't want to risk having that person get off. But at the same time, it's not as big of a deal for them. You know, if, if you get off, you get off. But for a person who's facing 25 to life and maybe was at the, you know, might look somewhat guilty, he knows he might look guilty, but he didn't do it. You know, why, why take that chance? Uh, depending on how, how the prosecutor is and how that jury is, especially depending, it all depends on different kinds of counties and stuff like that. You know, some people are more. You know they more side with somebody who's being charged, but then you know in more conservative areas they're like, no we su- we support our prosecutors and police so always depends it happens civil defense stuff too that that's why we try to settle cases in certain counties because we know we'll give them way more than we would ever give them so it's it's stuff like that. When
0: you say settle in certain counties do you have a certain amount of leeway in where like the case can be heard in terms of counties or is it just where the accident or like where the incident happened, it's in, if it's in that county, that that district will hear, well, that court will hear you?
1: Uh, yeah, it kind of depends for certain things. So for civil cases, there's a different, it's called like a venue of where, which court should hear it. And there's different ways to get, into that venue, or <laughs> at least for civil cases. Uh, it's either a party to the action lives in that venue, say like Bronx County, um, either a plaintiff or a defendant live there, or the accident happened there. Uh, you can now bring it in that case. So that's sometimes, you know, you almost do like a venue shopping. If you're a plaintiff and you know you're going to try to get as much money as possible, you go to a more plaintiff-friendly county or venue if you have that opportunity. A person, if the person is from the Bronx, the accident happened in Orange County and the defendant is from Green County, he's going to bring it in Bronx County because he can because Bronx County is more favorable for plaintiffs. So it's kind of how you got to go about it.
0: Okay. If, so- you, have
1: option, if you have that option.
0: Excuse me?
1: If you have that option,
0: okay, yeah, because it's um, it seems like there's a little bit of a science behind it. Like okay. I know there's definitely a science behind uh, selecting jury members, uh, mm-hmm. and then also just how you show up to court.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: It's like if, like I found out if you're if you're wearing glasses you're more likely to get off because the jury thinks like, oh, this nerd couldn't have done it. It's just like,
1: uh it's Yeah, it's all about presenting yourself to the jury even though they're really only supposed to consider evidence and testimony and stuff like that, not how somebody looks. But I was was on a jury in Queens uh, where a guy stole this woman's cell phone and he, he jumped a couple other people And after the case, which ended up being um, a mistrial because the jury foreperson was posting on social media and getting opinions that way, the one guy who ended up wanting to side with um, the defendant went to the the prosecutor, came after and was like, do you mind if I just ask you a couple questions about the case? Because you're allowed to do that, you know, after the case is either decided or a mistrial. So he was talking just about like how his kind of how he was going about the case. And the one guy is like, I just don't understand what you were doing with your hands the whole time. You kept doing this. What is that? And I was like, this is, that's not (laughs) relevant at all to the case. But that's definitely, he definitely considered that and was like, I don't like this guy. Uh, And and was going to side with the defendant. It was actually like a, it was a hung jury for like the first two hours until they declared a mistrial. Guy was
0: going to get off, I think. Yeah. That's the, and we might as well start getting into it because I know when I post this, especially with the, uh, with the topic of it and what's going on right now, we'll just get into it. I feel like that is kind of what is happening in the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard case. Is, right. well, first of all, fuck her. Uh, if anyone disagrees with that, you can you can stop the podcast right now, fuck you. Uh they're
1: yeah. not watching.
0: From the evidence, she's awful. But then also is that she has lawyers that aren't charismatic, that aren't likable. That when they're talking to the judge or other witnesses, they are very rude, abrasive, and at some point it's just harassing, like, and if I was her, I would probably tell them to chill the fuck out. Cause you're making us look bad. Right. Because whether or not she could have all the evidence in the world, but if, like you said, depending on how your lawyers present the case, doing shit with their hands or the way that they talk, you can, you can fuck mm-hmm. it up
1: i mean com- completely and i mean we, we see it in the news now from this case and just how horribly this whole case has looked for her and how poorly she comes off how poorly these like lawyers come off and now a little bit has to do with the evidence but
2: this also i'm <laughs>
1: also like how they presented themselves in general they come off looking stupid with you know not knowing certain rules and everything and that's absolutely going to influence the jury's decision on this the the fact that they haven't settled this case is crazy but at the same time maybe Johnny Depp wouldn't take a settlement he's like I know I I know that I'm going to kill this this case uh or you know you got to come up with a number that's gonna wow us all and somehow you know restore my reputation
0: yeah I think part of the reason why he wouldn't settle and petition for it to be live streamed is so that people can see with their own eyes
2: mm-hmm. what
0: happened. And people in a PR team, like Heard's PR team, can't control what information comes out of the um, out of the courtroom. Because everyone right. can sit there and look at it and be like, oh no, we heard, we heard the fact that we heard Heard say is that she pretty much said to him it's just like tell them it was a fair fight go and tell the jury and the judge that you johnny depp a man the victim of domestic violence and see how many people believe or uh support you
1: right i mean it looks it looks horrible for her so
0: i don't know how you can come back from that
1: i really i i don't think you can at all it's it was a great move by him to bring the case. You know, if he actually didn't want to settle, or he said, you know, you're not going to come up with a number big enough for me to settle this case. Another great move. If you know, it's all going to back, back you up. And honestly, Depp's lawyers have been really good too. So it's, it's just, it's, it's one of those just insane cases that, you know, once, once in a lifetime kind of cases where, especially now with like social media where you get things within two seconds yeah. And now hundreds of thousands of people can be talking about you and it makes it even more on another level. Uh, it's, it's crazy. She's completely ruined her reputation.
0: Oh, without a doubt. And I think that this is, without having to go to a newspaper, this is Johnny Depp's op-ed. This is his response to, it's like, oh, you're going to go and tell the world that right. this happened? right I, i'll do the same thing but it's going to be in a legal sense so everyone can see that i'm going to be i hope that he is validated
1: because... yeah yeah this isn't just his story he's like here's my story here's the evidence to back it up not yes. just an article
0: yes so i think it's um so it has been a very interesting case i think uh if they're not talking about it now, they're definitely gonna be talking about it in law schools.
1: I think so, for sure, especially in, um, for like defamation cases and stuff like that. I don't know how they wouldn't be in law school textbooks or in law school classes. This, I mean, it's a great, it's a great case for it. Yeah. Even even evidence, the whole hearsay, uh, you know, clips from that, that especially can now be hearsay. short. <laughs> That he expected those hearsay objections. Very impressive.
0: And I think that it's, I think the way that it's going to be very interesting for defamation cases is because the argument that uh, Heard's team is trying to make is that they did not specifically name Johnny Depp. His name did not show up. So it can't be defamation if she didn't say he's the one that did this. However, um, I was listening to uh, today when they were uh, there was a motion to dismiss. So I guess his team had to defend it in Virginia. Defamation doesn't have to be direct; it can be indirect as well. Like, so if she says, "Oh, I've been dealing with domestic abuse from my husband," right, you only have one husband,
2: right, right,
0: like unless you're a Mormon. Like, so we know who you're talking about. Like, <laughs> so it's it's going to be very, very interesting in how uh, how this plays out. And I think the funniest thing I saw from the fucking page uh, is when Heard's lawyer object, objected himself.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that, I he's either nervous or thought he was doing something clever and I don't, I don't know what you would object to yourself to. You could withdraw the question but,
0: but they're just stuck on repeat at this point it's just, <laughs> ask a question person starts talking, objection on honor, hearsay but, <laughs> and you, can, you couldn't see the judge's face but you could hear how her face looks it's like, you asked the question right? oh <laughs> uh, It is awesome. But I wanted to talk to you in terms of like the future of like court cases and things like that. Do you think that more cases should be uh, televised?
1: I mean, it's definitely been like probably a question since television obviously has been invented. And yeah, I believe it's always up to the judge um, for, for it to be televised. So obviously, like big cases like this, you know, so the judge probably sees like a benefit for it being televised, you know, trying to show a good case and um, people want to know about it. The The only thing that I could think of for why certain trials should not be televised is honestly social media now, because you can take... Um, You can take clips or you can have like opinions by people who know nothing or know nothing about the case and have it influence things kind of when they don't know everything and as much as the jury is not supposed to take that into account you are not you are not allowed on social media you're not allowed to talk about it on social media that whole thing you could take phones away but you probably know unless unless the jury is sequestered you know whether with like um like the oj case when like they literally had to like live in a hotel with no tv nothing like that um they're probably going to allow that to influence their decision um when it comes down that's
0: what i was gonna ask is that how how does the court enforce no social media and everything like that and so like
1: I mean, you say it, the judge says it in the beginning. Like with my that case I was a jury on, he said it. He's like, you cannot post on social media. You cannot take outside opinions. You are not allowed to discuss this case with anybody except the jury members. Um, but it had to be declared a mistrial because the jury foreperson was talking on Facebook about it and getting opinions from people. So the only reason that they found out about that is because she was friends with um, a prosecutor from brooklyn that prosecutor saw it on facebook and immediately went to the queen's court and was like this can't do this so a little bit of a rat move but you know she she respected the office snitch yeah but i I mean but yeah you you can't they're not
0: friends anymore. i can tell you they're not friends anymore
1: yeah no cannot do that um but the only way to do that would be to sequester Mm-hmm. and sequestering is something that like it's for like extreme cases so it's it's kind of hard so I, that's why i'm not probably probably could see why judges would say i don't want this televised or i want to close the room kind of thing because especially cuz you can just clip so many things and have so many opinions now it's not just in the newspapers the news is twitter the news is instagram stuff like that and things can go viral from somebody that has no idea what they're talking about. So, or an opinion that, you know, is, is misleading or not based in fact.
0: So well, I think that maybe high, and I, and I agree with you, I think that maybe high profile cases should be televised. And if a judge allows, having, you know, just normal cases be video recorded. Because I think that in the, I'll start with the bigger one first. I think that in the terms of a high profile case, like in the Amber Heard case, her indictment of Johnny Depp was so loud that his validation needs to be just as loud. Right, right. Like, so it needs to be proportional. So it's like, if someone comes out um, like if a man comes out and says just like my wife was abusing me and it's like let's say I don't know let's pick a wild state uh, let's say Samuel Jackson came out and said that his wife was physically abusing him
2: mm-hmm. and they
0: ended up having to go to court that should be public like that should be televised because right. you put it out in the public domain And you're not just a normal Joe Schmo person that posted on Facebook and all your friends were like, this is wild. Um, It is international news. So you need to have it be televised. So that whether or not you're found guilty, non-guilty, anything like that, the public stays informed and is not just running. Because let's be honest, people don't read nowadays.
1: No, they don't. Or, Or they don't read the right things. You know, they read
0: things that keep them in their echo chamber. Right, right. Versus you're watching something live streams and it's just like, well, I don't agree with what he said. It's just like, well, that's the facts. It's like, right. even though you might be on the side of, well, I think majority of people are on the side of domestic violence victims. Uh, I, don't, I don't know anyone, like, unless right. they're the perpetrators, most people are on the side of it. It's just like, yeah, don't do that. Yeah. Uh, but with people that are on that side, it's just like, you you can't look at everything that's presented and still follow behind her.
2: Because
0: Mm -hmm. at some point the evidence becomes so overwhelming that it's like, did he scream at her? Sometimes, but unless being in an argument with your spouse has now become illegal. Right. I think that if it's like, I think, and you can correct me, maybe you know, the statue it's like with abuse, I think more so if it's one-sided. Usually. It's like, I'm yelling at you. I'm making you feel bad. Duh, 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 duh. If we're going back and forth, that's a bad fight in a toxic relationship. Mm-hmm. But then if you elevate it to a point of physical harm, then it's just like, yeah, I'm not doing that. It's just like, We can scream at each other we can do everything like that it's just like like freshman year we had a friend Hmm. she and i would get into some screen matches with
1: one another (sighs) yeah was that abuse no probably not especially i mean if it didn't emotionally damage him (laughs)
0: don't put that caveat in there
1: (laughs) (laughs) might need to uh delete that part
0: (laughs) no no it's fine because i'll just say like this i think with this case one of the things that us as a society need to look at is that there is a difference between an argument between spouses and abuse Mm if if um If two, if two people like wear like sailors, mm-hmm. that's normal for them. So if they're in an argument and someone's just like, oh, you fucking idiot, that's different than in like maybe a more so Christian household where they don't swear and the husband is screaming to the wife, you fucking idiot. Like it's like, that's
1: different. So it's yeah. like, yeah. And something you have to take into account.
0: Yeah. And from things that I've read and everything like that, and it's just like a lot of people have, well, not a lot of people, but I've seen people say that, oh, well, he yelled at her and dah, 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 dah. it's just like, he could have just walked away. And it's just like, you obviously have not been following the case because he said straight up, I would try to walk away. She would follow me. That's how he got kicked in the head with the door. And right. also when he would try to walk away, she would emotionally manipulate him to stay.
1: Right.
2: What do you do Um, with that?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, and if it was vice versa, people would be going crazy too, you know? Like, he emotionally manipulated me or wouldn't allow me to leave. Yeah. yeah, Both ways.
0: I think that, um, I just think that I'm diving in Uh, careful now. Yeah, like, no, fuck it. If I'm on, if I'm on thin ice, I might as well tap dance. (laughs) Uh, No, I just think that, um, the history of domestic violence has been portrayed through the lens of man to woman Mm -hmm. because of the society that we live in, men are, Impenetrable beings that can never be hurt. We don't have emotions, da, 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 da. so we can't be abused. But women are delicate flowers that even the slightest wind is like you're you're a monster. So I think that when we look at these types of things, like we need to understand, it's just like, yes, unless you're dating Ronda Rousey, you're not gonna probably have physical marks from your girl hitting you. Right. For the most part.
2: Right.
0: Now, those emotional types of scars and things like that, those are the things that are more dangerous than any physical scar that you can ever get. It's like, right. So I think that I think that that's something that we as a society should talk about. We went down a really bad rabbit hole with this one. <laughs> it's like, God, we're real far from the law. Uh, I'll probably have someone on to talk about this. I need to find someone who can talk about yeah. it without getting t- triggered
1: a um, i like or just
0: <laughs> just slowly walk off screen i was just like he's just talking to himself at this point <laughs> um, okay let's let let's end on a lighter note in law school what was your favorite class <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> <Segway>. oh, <man. laughs> great great segue that was perfection Thank you. um hmm, damn favorite class um, I did really enjoy trial advocacy. It's called trial ad. That's um, basically where you learn the ins and outs of a trial um, when it comes down to it. So like, you know, you learn how to do an opening, a closing, direct examination, cross-examination, how to look at evidence and present it and how to get certain certain things into evidence. So I always thought that was actually... a a pretty fun class for the most part and weirdly enough like the sport classes that i took you know something like intro to sports law ended up being unfortunately it wasn't taught by the most engaging person and i thought this was going to be a great class and this is what i want to do and that that ended up being like one of the worst classes i took it was like a relatively easy class but you know i i feel like I, i didn't learn that much and it was taught by somebody who didn't really know how to teach. He, he had the job, he had a great job within that industry, but you know, not everybody's a teacher. Yeah,
0: especially going to UMass, going to our college. <laughs> uh,
1: to a university.
0: To in in an established- the Northeast area. Institution of higher learning. <laughs> uh, I have met some teachers that are brilliant. I've looked at the work that they've done. Brilliant. But in terms of conveying that to other people, they're awful. They are probably one of the worst people. Like they shouldn't be teaching, but the university tells them, it's just like, well, if you're doing research here, you have to teach. It's just like, they need to take like a teacher aptitude test. Just like, if you score low, stay at the bench, stay at the bench and just like work at the bench and hire someone who can actually teach people.
1: Yeah, I, it's absolutely true. I mean, I, I did not like this class that I took um, in law school, federal tax. It's called federal tax. <laughs> like, obviously- that sounds mind-numbing. Yeah, but when it came to actually learning the material, since she was such a good professor, this, this woman, um, Bridget Crawford, she's one of, one of the best professors of all time. Made it engaging, and you know you were able to learn, and somehow made it somewhat interesting. Uh, and I, I, did not hate that class, and I knew she was a good professor and everything. So it, it really absolutely depends on on the professor. You know, you would think Fed Tax would be like my least favorite class, and it wasn't. One of my least favorite classes ended up being the class I thought was going to be like the best class ever. So. <laughs> Yeah, so, you know, it, it really depends on the professor, but yeah, that, that, that was my favorite class. What did I say my favorite class was? Oh, try uh, yeah. uh, that. Yeah, that, that was fun and it was different. So that was kind of cool. So
0: I know that you spoke about it in terms of what, like what things you wish you knew coming into law school. Um, so for people that are thinking of going into law school or might be in their first year. Um, what advice would you give them going into lo- well, while you- while they're in law school and preparing for it in terms of um, taking the L- LSAT? LSAT
1: LSAT to get into
0: law school. Yeah. So, so let's, well, let's put the LSAT. What advice you would give people and then your first year, what are some, advice uh, what advice would you give people
1: okay um stuff for lsat Well, first of all it doesn't matter what your major is. Don't do pre-law if you don't want to do pre-law that, that's all bullshit like just they'll, they'll take they'll take whatever you are as long as you get good grades doesn't matter um for an lsat definitely take a class uh you know kaplan does i think i took kaplan themus stuff like that because it's more about learning how to answer the question and what to look for than just like looking at the answer and hoping you you know you could figure out what's right. There's it's a strategy in figuring out how to answer those questions. Um, like they have like logic games and stuff, and there's certain patterns that you have to recognize, and you you will if if you take a class that teaches you and you do it over and over again. Um, oh.
0: It doesn't have anything. There's no law, nothing. Nothing, man. Nothing. It's literally just kind of logic, reasoning. Um Mm -hmm.
1: any math. I mean, maybe a little bit with the logic games, but for the most part, no math. Um, Oh,
0: okay. So it's just
1: it's nothing. It's not and the the law school will teach you the law. And honestly, even after law school, you're gonna have to learn all those laws because there's you know millions of laws. I, I learned nothing in law school for the most part about what I currently practice, like with the, with the major statutes, laws, and case law that I currently do. I had no idea um, from law school because it's a very you know um, specific area of law. It's not general for the most okay. part. Uh, you know, I knew a couple things, but you know, the more you become a lawyer, the more you you're constantly learning. Honestly. Uh, All I do is bother the other attorneys at my office, asking them questions about what I should do when it comes down to it.
2: Well,
0: would you agree with this statement is that law school teaches you the law, but when you get a job, you learn how to practice it?
1: Yeah, I would agree with that statement. And I, I also feel like law school teaches you how to approach being a lawyer. You know about being prepared um obviously kind of talking in public uh and stuff like that and it really it's about learning the process of being an attorney i would say
0: okay and for the first years
1: uh first year i would say don't burn yourself out like it happened that a couple of kids that I went to school with, they, they burned themselves out within the first, first year where, you know, they, it, you definitely have to work. You have to put the time in, but some people like are so in their head about like needing to know every single thing or, you know, honestly having no life. It's true. You don't have that much of a life, but like, you have to give yourself time to, relax or like you're not going to process things after a while you can't read 60 pages in a night of very dense old case law you know you got to give yourself time and if you get things wrong you get things wrong it's really as long as you're prepared especially for tests and stuff you'll, you'll be okay but you don't need to be you know you, you're not going to be the top student you know that top student unless you're that top student who probably when it comes down to it they're always going to be the top student you can get yourself to a good level and be prepared but you're not going to be able to compete with these kids who are just like freaking it's it's either what they're meant to do or they're just really good at law school man (laughs) yeah you can still be a good attorney you can still be a good student and still be successful but you can't burn yourself out especially the first year man you still got another two years of hating your life for the most part
0: (laughs) oh so it's three years
1: three years Usually.
0: Usually. Fair enough. Uh so have you seen some people that were great in law school or then when they get out to the real world, it's like um you could just say yes or no. Y-
1: yes. I, can, <laughs> I, I can't start like calling people out, but yeah. Yes. Yeah. Or you know
0: obviously not and I'm not speaking like specifically to your cohort, I'm just saying in terms of just being yeah. in law school, you're seeing different classes and everything like that yeah. go through. So I, like, I,
1: I have seen kids not be successful or, you know, some of the top students don't pass the bar on the first time. It, but like famous people have not passed the bar on the first time. Like JFK uh, failed the bar. I'm pretty sure JFK. Uh, and insane amount of-
0: failed the bar and now she's doing some backdoor way to get her
1: law degree. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's just <laughs> it's an uh,
0: apprenticeship.
1: Like an apprenticeship through right, the apprenticeship. But uh, if you look it up, there are very, very famous attorneys who have failed the bar so the first time around, or honestly, multiple times. But yeah, so it's you. You do see it. You see it.
0: Okay. okay. And so that was for our lawyers, potential lawyers, hmm. and now for the people that they might be defending, what is some of (laughs) like, because I think we've talked about it before is that like, like what advice would you give someone? Like if they have to go through the legal system, whether, whether or not they do get a lawyer, they might get a lawyer. So like, but let's say like, um, uh, deposition, Mm
2: -hmm. like,
0: Some of those can be a cakewalk and then others can be hell on earth. Right. So if someone was trying to get ready for a uh, deposition, what is some like simple things that you can't tell them that might not be a catch-all, but like it can generally apply. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, something like I tell my clients, I, I go over, you know, a certain set of rules basically every time, where I it's more about strategies and, and answering questions and stuff. So I always tell them, keep your answers short, do not go on a tangent and tell your story because you're you want to get the story out. Oh, this is exactly how it happened. Uh, but the shorter the answer, the better. And it's really about trying to make the attorney do the work, do not do the work for them. You know, because what they can do with a long winding answer is either they can now ask more questions because maybe you gave them something that they didn't think about before. Oh, now I can ask a question about that. Or they can twist words um, when it comes to later in the deposition. Because the more you talk, the more likely you're either going to stumble over your words or mean to say something one way, but it can certainly be taken another way. Um, So the, the example I always give is... If they say, if the attorney asks what color was the car you were driving, you would just answer red, if it was red. And then if, but what you don't say is a red 2015 Toyota. They didn't ask you the year. They didn't ask you what kind of car, they asked you the color. So it, that, that's like a big example I give. The shorter, the better. And that also means the quicker you're done with the deposition, because I'm sure you want to get out too when it comes down to it. Um, And I always uh, don't ever, don't ever guess during the deposition. It's either you know it or you don't. It's okay to say, I don't know. If you don't know, you don't know. But if you start guessing or, you know, "Uh, yeah, I think that kind of stuff. Well, now that's going to give them even more ammo say at a trial and like, say oh, oh well,
0: you don't know Well, it's
1: for this what do you mean you don't know now you said during the deposition that it was this you know or you change your answer because maybe you now remembered it a certain way and then it's a very easy thing to say to the jury and i a lot of attorneys say they say well this answer that's different from your answer now so was your? Are you one of those people whose memories get better with time? And now you remember <laughs> the right answer, and it's like an easy like, all right, go fuck yourself to the jury. So
0: is it better to say I don't recall? So like, if you do have to go to trial, so like, if you say you don't recall in the deposition, can you then recall in the like in the trial? Or if you, but, you say in the deposition, they'll be like, well, you said you didn't recall. Right? Essentially, what you said is like your memory gets better.
1: Right, and so it, it's certainly, you can do it both ways. Um, but usually by that time, you can say something like, um, you know, I've reviewed documents, I'm, I'm a little bit better prepared uh, today. So that's what it is. But yeah, usually if you can't recall, you can't recall, when it comes down to it, it's not the biggest deal for the most part.
0: Okay. And that is very, Well, of course it is good advice because you're giving it. Um, Because a lot of times it's that when people, when attorneys ask like a yes or no uh, question, people want to answer binary, but then also want to give context to it. So I guess my, uh, my question is that is there, is there an opportunity for like, should a person give context to something if, The answer is no, but not like a hundred percent. No. Like you can see where that attorney is trying to lead you down and you're trying to get in front of it. It's just like, I know what you're about to ask. No. However, da, 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 da,
1: Right. And for stuff like that, it's really, um, it's really easy to want to say no and then try to explain yourself. But the attorney asked you a yes or no question. So all he has to say is, I'm going to object to the non-responsive portion, non-responsive portions of the answer. And now that that explanation will not come into a trial because that was not an answer to the question that was being asked. So yes or no this, and then you say no, but the question was yes or no.
0: Okay, so what the jury might see is just the no, and not the context. Right.
1: So, um, yeah, and that I and I will always go with the shorter, the better, and make the attorney do the work because you can make you can make it seem somewhat either cloudy or may, by making the attorney do the work, it looks like maybe it's not as open and a shut case as you know other people think it is. Okay.
0: And if anybody's looking for a little bit of comedy, look at uh, Lil Wayne's (laughs) deposition. It is straight gold.
1: (laughs) That is gold. That is gold. I remember watching that. That and um, a lot of people don't like Barstool, but the uh, deposition testimony from Dave Portnoy and Smitty from Barstool when Michael Rapaport sued them is quite possibly the funniest things I've ever seen in my life because he sued them for defamation and it was a just fantastic recorded deposition uh, testimony. It's like my favorite thing to watch.
0: You know what happened with that case? It got thrown out. Oh. Uh-huh.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he couldn't he could prove it.
0: So defamation cases are hard to prove unless they say like-
1: They can be, especially person. when you're a public figure or in the media, which Barstool and Michael Rappaport was or were at that time.
0: Yeah, and then and I'll say this, and then I think, yeah, we've been talking for a little bit, so I'll, I'll wrap it up. I won't keep you too long, is that I feel like with defamation cases, depending on what is accused, it's hard to prove a negative. Right. So it's just like, if they say like, oh, this person hit me How do you prove I didn't hit them?
2: Yeah it's... It's, it's hard to prove
0: It's hard to prove something didn't happen It's just like The burden should fall on the person That says that Hey, like, you said I did this, now you have to prove it Versus me proving that I Didn't do it
1: Well, that's where the burden usually lies Is the- it? Yeah, like so if you bring the case,
0: but with Johnny Depp, he's bringing the defamation case against Amber Heard. So with right. her, she has to. So she has to prove
1: that. No, he no, no. Hit- Johnny Depp has to prove that case. He's got the burden.
0: So he, he, has to, the
1: case, he has the burden.
0: So he has to prove that he didn't hit her.
1: Basically, yes.
0: That and and that, so-
1: that she defamed. It's really more about she, her, defaming him by writing this. Which was a lie. So
0: and I mean, shit, in terms of defamation cases.
1: Yeah, they're doing it. Like his yeah. team
0: is doing it because
1: doing it pretty well.
0: Is more so showing it's just like he wasn't the abuser in it, she was. Right.
1: Yeah. And
0: right. I think yeah. I think the the, the bar though the the margin of error is so small that like if he does anything that is can be perceived as violent then they'll say that's abuse so it needs to be thrown out it's just like but someone reaching their breaking point versus someone having a continuous
2: mm-hmm.
0: history of just doing these things to this person it's just like so one incident makes it abuse right one incident makes it like x y and z it's just like in certain cases yes I think that especially with this case it's like it's like you said it's going to be it's going to be talked about in law schools it's going to be talked about with with scholars for 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 a
1: while for sure
0: and it's not going to be on Amber Heard's side it's going to be more so about what Johnny Depp's team did right
1: yeah yeah They've been like, <laughs> they're
0: going to write a book of what to do based off of Johnny Debs and right. what not to do.
1: Do not object to your own question in front of a jury. Jesus. Insane.
0: That's, oh, oh, there's so many highlights from it. But, yeah. um, so at this point, I just want to give you 30 seconds. Do you have anything that's going on or anything that you want to promote? Anything coming up? It's like, not your, your chance.
1: Yeah, check my SoundCloud. Uh, <laughs> got a couple DJ, bars. DJ Pickles. <laughs> uh, I never have anything to promote, man. Uh, I, I, I don't tweet or anything like that. If, you want, if you're if you in New York and um, you have a personal injury case, feel free to look up Wilson, Babe, Convoy, Cousin, and Cousins, some of the firm I, I work at. They're good attorneys there. Uh, and we do defense and plaintiff. Uh, Other than that, just be a good person. And usually nothing matters. (laughs) (laughs) Sign off like that.
0: (laughs) Okay. Uh, Well, everyone, that has been another episode of Toon Talks with the Pharaoh. I will see you guys next week or whenever I drop another episode. Mm.